My market research show that our fans want this to be a call-in show. So I'm actually going to do call-ins okay. for the first time this episode. Why not? We've been getting ready for it for 91 episodes. Now it's time to try something new. I like it. Guys, I'm kidding. We're not doing a call-in show. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, former president of the Society for Major Dudes with Half a Heart. (laughs) Any major dude will tell you. That's right. Any major dude will confirm the details. I'm Jeremy Ruggles, impromptu researcher of the Knights Templar. You're on that crusade. (laughs) On a bit of a crusade here, boys, for information (laughs) on some crusaders. Do you know how that feels, Peter? I do. I do indeed. I was there when they took Jerusalem. I am Peter Cook, your fabulous co-host, and I am the 2003 top salesperson at the Albuquerque CC Mobile. Congratulations. Do you still have the plaque? Do you keep it dusted off? Yeah, I just put some new screws in it the other day. Yeah, you gotta change out the screws every every five years or so on those commemorative plaques. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Uh, you gotta treat that wood. Do, do you guys want to talk about a, a record? Maybe one by The Crusaders? I wanted yeah. to t- talk about the Jazz Crusaders. Well... It's basically the same thing, so I guess at least two out of three co-hosts will have something to talk about this episode. (laughs) Oh, you're right, you're right. This is just the Crusaders. Yeah, I brought this one. The 1979 release from just the Crusaders. It's on MCA. It's called Street Life, and it was a top 20 album on three different Billboard charts. It represents the band at their commercial peak. We're going to start with The Hustler, Side B, Track 3.
Man, this thing grooves with summer energy. And the I'm looking at the cover right now, and it just looks like summer, and it sounds like summer. It's just got that energy to it. Wait, are you are you telling me that you like this record? Because I was going to say that I feel like there's no way Jeremy's going to be into this record. I think your guys' campaign to to turn me towards this music is slowly working. Holy shit. I was grooving to it. You're a smooth jazz convert. Welcome to the club. <laughs> this is a momentous occasion. And I'd buy that for a dollar. I think we need to pause and just take a moment to appreciate. Yeah, bask in the glory. <laughs> as long as you don't get any big ideas about me liking 10cc in the future, then we're cool. <laughs> That's fine if you don't like 10cc, but I'm going to need you to eventually admit that Godly and Cream is a dope band. I make no guarantees at this point. We're we're going to get you there. If you can get in to some like straight up smooth jazz cheese with the crusaders right now, then we can get you into godly and cream. I have faith. I have hope for the future. Soon we're going to hit him with that snack attack. Oh my God. <laughs> but let's not, uh, let's not stray too far from the crusaders here. That was, that was a hype track, wasn't it? Highly hype. It's so good. Super groovy. I mean, cheesy, like, no one can really deny that there's a lot of cheese in the production and the songwriting on here, but at the same time, it just grooves so hard the whole time. It's it's just fun. Both the uh, the bass and the sax were performed by Crusader Wilton Felder on that track. There was also some auxiliary percussion going on in there, courtesy of someone we've mentioned a few times, Paulino da Costa. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a name that I look out for now when I'm record digging, and it rarely disappoints. If you see that guy in a record, it's probably good. Yeah, sounds some some major major works. It was written the Hustler that we just heard was written by Crusader drummer Sticks Hooper. Great name for a drummer. <laughs> it's a it's better than his his birth name Nesbert. Not to, like, alienate any Nesberts in our audience. (laughs) Significant portion of our fan base is named Nesbert. (laughs) Uh, But coming into this, what's your guys' knowledge on the Crusaders or the Jazz Crusaders? The Crusaders are one of those bands that I have kind of a general knowledge of their career arc, but I don't know, like, a ton of details and trivia about the band. I just own... I don't know, maybe like 10 of their records at this point. And up until pretty much this record, you really can't go wrong with a Crusaders record as far as I've heard. And I also know that the amount of albums that these guys played on for other people, either like, you know, as a solo session musician or sometimes as like basically the whole Crusaders as the backing band, it's like the most absurd list. The there's so many amazing records that these guys were on. It's just crazy. Very true. How about you, Jeremy? You gonna start the list? <laughs> yeah, that's just gonna be the whole episode. Is the list? Here we go. <laughs> that's a lot deeper than my knowledge of this, which is basically zero because it's smooth jazz, and I haven't bothered with smooth jazz. But now you're a smooth jazz convert. He's gonna start digging into those details. Oh. Finding been, all those hot 
those hot stamper smooth jazz records. Yeah. Get my goatee going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for the transformation of Jeremy Ruggles. <laughs> I already got the long hair. I just need to ponytail it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The most that I personally knew about the Crusaders prior to researching for this episode was when we did the Ronnie Laws episode. He was connected with them, had had grown up near them in Houston, was neighbors to them. The Laws family were neighbors to the, uh, the Crusaders. And that was really the most I had learned. I've learned a little bit more in researching this. And I'm ready to start with some of their backstory, if you guys are ready for that. Very ready. So going way back to 1954 in Houston, Texas, a young piano player with the great name Joe Sample teamed up with some high school friends. One of them was tenor saxophonist Wilton Felder, and the other was drummer Nesbert Styx Hooper, and they formed a group called the Swingsters. They played a mixture of jazz and R&B, and within a short time, they were joined by a trombonist named Wayne Henderson, a flutist named Hubert Laws, and a bassist, Henry Wilson. And they shifted their sound to more of a hard bop sound and became the modern jazz sextet. And eventually, they were, they were popular in Houston, but eventually, Sample, Felder, Hooper, and Henderson all moved to Los Angeles, and this is in 1960. And once in Los Angeles, they took on the name The Jazz Crusaders. And the following year, they made their first recordings for Pacific Jazz and released 16 albums on that label over the next eight years. So it seems that Jesus. we, you know, in the Ramsey Lewis episode, we talked about how he was cranking about. It seems like the jazz musicians of the 50s and 60s were just so prolific. And the thing is, they were that's also like a thing that live gigging is a heavy part of <laughs> jazz music. So you have to think that they're just doing this nonstop night and day. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> jazz all the time. Jazz for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they mixed R and B and Memphis soul elements with hard bop. The trombone and tenor front line of Wayne Henderson and Wilton Felder became a trademark for them. They really stood out with what they were doing. But by 1971, they decided to call the group simply the Crusaders because they didn't want to restrict themselves to playing only jazz and kind of limiting the scope of their audience in doing so. Um, Even before the change of the name, they had indicated to audiences that they wouldn't be content to remain within the strict confines of jazz. Their albums had included versions of popular songs like Beatles songs, Eleanor Rigby, and Hey Jude. But with their name change, their sound became increasingly rooted in like jazz funk and soul jazz. They incorporated electric guitar and bass. And Joe Sample, he started recording and performing, playing the electric piano and the clavinet. I guess that this was, I heard an interview with Wilton Felder where he said that they were criticized for converting switching to the electric piano that was sacrilege in the jazz world at the time they must have 
you know, this is like late 60s, early 70s we're talking. I think that's right around the same time. Wasn't it uh, like when Miles had uh, the Fender Rhodes played on Bitches Brew? Wasn't that considered a big deal in jazz music? Yeah, because like the the guys playing the, the Fender Rhodes on Bitches Brew had never touched it before. And it was like this whole new weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. So breaking down walls in jazz here. And this is also right around the same time that you had guys like Ramsey Lewis switching to a more electric jazz funk style as well. And like, you know, Herbie Hancock getting into some weirder stuff around this time too. So there was definitely a, a push of moving jazz from just these like more constrictive genres into incorporating a lot of other elements. Uh, Norman Connors is another name that comes to mind of guys mm-hmm. that made that leap between jazz and R&B. A lot of people we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Well, before we go on with their story, I'd like to play another track. I want to feature My Lady. This was written by saxophonist and bassist Wilton Felder. It is Side A, track two. That might be my favorite track on the record. I especially love the percussion on there from Paulino da Costa, as we mentioned. That one's just got such a perfect mid-tempo jazz funk groove to it, and it's great all the way through. Yeah, I really, really like that one. The uh, backing vocals are from a husband and wife duo, Louis and Monique Aldebert, and oh, it sounds 
straight up like something MF Doom would sample. I, he didn't, to my knowledge, in looking at who sampled.com, but uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's very forward thinking, I feel like, for 1979. Mm hmm. This feels like a gateway drug to me and that it's still funky and still has like an aggressive push to it and doesn't feel like smooth jazz to me. And like when that piano comes in, it's doing some sophisticated jazz work that is not smooth jazz to my, you know, untrained ear, I guess. Well, that's kind of the thing for me with collecting things that are called smooth jazz. It's not so much that I just love the smooth jazz sound and will collect anything in that genre. It's more just the fact that there's a lot of stuff that gets passed off as smooth jazz and has no value or hype that is actually really, really good like this. And I think we've talked about before how the term smooth smooth jazz was kind of a... Retroactive. A term that got... Yeah. And it was like a term that got attached to people later on. They weren't making this record thinking like, oh, we got to make a smooth jazz record, you know? And like the, the elements of jazz funk and soul jazz and just a lot of the other jazz that was going on, especially in the seventies like this, there's a lot of different subgenres that are all interconnected here. And then the term smooth jazz kind of unfairly lumps them all together later on, I think. Yeah. You know, we obviously discussed that at length in our Bob James touchdown episode. And, you know, this is about the same time period as that record. And there are some similarities, but there are also definitely also some differences. For one thing, mm-hmm. different coasts. So it's a different set of players in that regard. But yeah, like you said, it's it's kind of like with a lot of other things where the, the term gets applied retroactively. It's, they were probably just approaching this like, you know, jazz musicians trying to stretch out into funk and soul as they've been doing more and more so over the years. My brain just can't attach how upfront and thuddy that kick drum was with the word smooth. (laughs) It's just not. All right. Well, then just call it jazz funk. Just say you're a jazz funk fan. I like jazz funk. There you go. It (laughs) sounds cooler too, right? Like you don't even have to get the ponytail going to be a jazz funk fan. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to be a dad. (laughs) But it does help. But it does help. All right. Well, back to the story of the Crusaders. By the mid-70s, the group was in commercial decline. They found themselves under label pressure to record jazzed-up versions of popular songs. And, you know, they had, I think that they had enjoyed that to an extent, but they wanted to do their own thing. And so in 1975... The band's sound radically changed when Wayne Henderson departed to become a full-time producer. And, you know, the other players were finding work as session players on other people's recordings. So a good opportunity to talk about what the three main crusaders found on this record have done. Uh, so Wilton Felder, the saxophonist, also the bassist, he had taught himself the bass after a club owner gave him a bass that they just had lying around. And I guess he was just like, okay, I might as well learn this instrument now that I have it in my possession. Early on, they went through a series of bassists, and it seems like eventually 
he just started to take on that role as well as playing the saxophone. And funny enough, Wilton Felder became the in-house bassist for Motown when the label opened operations in Los Angeles in the early 70s. And so he's the bassist on some classic Motown tracks like I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On. But it goes even beyond Motown. He's the bassist on John Cale's Paris 1919, Billy Joel's Piano Man album, Joan Baez's Diamonds and Rust, Randy Newman's Sail Away album, albums by Steely Dan, Joni Mitchell, Seals and Croft, Grant Green, Michael Franks, and Donovan, to name just a few. So, yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. We've talked before about how there's this interesting connection between jazz and folk music, especially on the West Coast. And the secret behind a lot of these primarily white folk musicians having a more jazz-based sound is hiring members of the Crusaders <laughs> to be on their record. <laughs> like they're solely responsible for that <laughs> creeping into uh, folk music, that jazz sound. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Joe Sample, the keyboardist, one of the very early jazz players, as we mentioned, to adopt the electric piano. He also worked on some Steely Dan albums, Minnie Ripperton's Adventures in Paradise. He was on the Marvin Gaye Let's Get It On album. He's on stuff by George Benson. B.B. King, and Randy Crawford, who we'll talk about shortly. Most, one of his most famous compositions is One Day I'll Fly Away, which was performed by Nicole Kidman in the movie Moulin Rouge. And that was co-written with someone named Will Jennings, who we'll also come back to momentarily. But first, we'll also mention drummer Styx Hooper. He, in addition to being a crusader, he's performed with names such as Hugh Masakila, Eric Gale, who we mentioned before on the show as well, Bobby Hutcherson, Freddie Hubbard, Quincy Jones, and Larry Carlton, who was once guitarist for the Crusaders for a short time. Yes, uh, and also the soloist on several very famous Steely Dan guitar solos. Yeah, for sure. And whenever you can get a Dan jab in, Sean. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, I will not. Oh, my gosh. I will not miss the opportunities. We're going to make you a Steely Dan fan as well, by the way. That's that is that is actually when Sean first uh, proposed the idea of the podcast to me. He's like, I'm thinking about getting Jeremy Ruggles involved because I want to convert him to the Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are two years almost into your plan. <laughs> playing the long game on this one. Oh, i got time i got nothing but time it's if i can get you into jazz funk aka smooth jazz then everything is possible <laughs> i see what you're doing there so yeah this album that we're listening to today street life it's produced by wilton felder Styx hooper and joe sample and they kind of like steely dan did they seem to just have a large ensemble of players who they're directing and playing with. And to name all the players on this would be also just take up the whole episode. We've, we'll name a few here and there, but I want to get to the title track that was co-written by Crusader Joe Sample and songwriter Will Jennings, who I just mentioned a moment ago. The reason I want to 
highlight Will Jennings. He wrote that song that was with uh, Joe Sample that was featured in Moulin Rouge, as well as this title track. He has some other interesting songwriting credits. Will Jennings wrote the lyrics for both Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven and Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> well, hold on. I'm just going everywhere with the references on this episode. <laughs> that's, that's At this point, nothing would be surprising. <laughs> that's just because the Crusaders are literally a part of everything. Yeah. <laughs> they are Wait music. a second, though. Eric Clapton didn't write Tears in Heaven? I, I think he wrote the music and... He, uh, he didn't write the words? That's insane. Th- those very heartfelt lyrics, yeah. About yeah. his son dying? Yes. <laughs> yep. My brain is melting out of my ear right now that <laughs> this knowledge is being passed on to me. I know. And My I, Heart goes up, Will Go On is an amazing song, so... <laughs> Congrats on that one. So, yeah, and he also wrote the lyrics to Street Life, which we will now play. And we'll talk about the vocals that you're going to hear on this track when we come back. But let's get into it. Street Life, side A, track one. Is Randy 
Crawford on vocals. And I'm guessing a lot of people recognize that track. It was a big hit. It was their biggest hit, which is weird for one, an 11 minute song, and two, for their 30th album, give or take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, we were trying to figure out before going into this what, uh, what number album this is. And it's, it's around 30. It gets complicated with, it seems like they count some of their live albums as official releases and some not. So, yeah. For them, to, though, in 1979, Roughly 30 albums in to have their biggest hit. It was probably a little bit of a surprise to, uh, you know, the group to finally, who've been so much behind the scenes, to suddenly be out in front. It's especially weird with Randy Crawford being on this track. She's not credited on the album, but I feel like it's some kind of contractual thing. Because they do have her name on the back of the record as a special it's it says thanks to someone very special randy crawford but she would have been on warner brothers so i have to wonder if there was some conflict with the labels that she couldn't be credited as the vocalist yeah it must be she was a vocalist who had come up in the mid 70s in new york singing with jasmine like george benson and cannonball adderley and she had signed with columbia and met Joe Sample when he played keyboard on her debut album in 1976. I guess the inspiration for that song it came from a very weird place. <laughs> I still don't fully understand this, but Joe Sample said that it came from the Beginner's Ski Slope at Mammoth Mountain in California. And Joe Sample was there and saw people falling and running into each other, just total chaos. He said it looked like a boulevard of madness, and in his mind, he commented, like, that's what street life is, and that somehow inspired skiing, <laughs> some, somehow inspired him <laughs> to, to write street life. I was, I was like, is, what, is this the, the explanation for the wrong song? <laughs> I well, I mean, we've already established that Joe Sample spent his entire adult life inside a recording studio or on stage, so <laughs> I guess it tracks that he would just have, like, no concept of the what works. life is like for other people at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, so that hit 36 on the Billboard charts and peaked at number 17 on the Soul charts. It was... Re-recorded by Doc Severinsen with Randy Crawford again on vocals for the 1981 film that was directed and starred Burt Reynolds. It's called Sharky's Machine. And that's that version. It's a slightly faster tempo. That's the one that gets used like when Quentin Tarantino used the song in Jackie Brown and when it was used on Better Call Saul a few seasons back. That's actually what my title at the beginning was a reference to it's always that slightly faster paced and i'd say a little more lushly produced version than what the crusaders did that's the one that you usually hear out in the world but this crusaders track was a hit and i've never seen sharky's machine i don't know what that's all about <laughs> i have not seen that one either i think it gets uh never mind i've not seen that one <laughs> <laughs> big hit but Honestly, it was also kind of the last hurrah for the Crusaders. Styx Hooper left the group just a few years later in 1983. And it just 
they no longer sounded like the Crusaders, and gradually they disbanded. I know that they, there were several reunions. I know in the mid-90s, uh, Wayne Henderson and Wilton Felder had a reunion as the Crusaders. There were a few other reunions of sorts as both the Crusaders and the Jazz Crusaders over the years, but neither exists in any form anymore. Uh, almost all the key players are gone now. Wayne Henderson passed away in April of 2014. Joe Sample, shortly thereafter, passed away in September 2014. And a year later, Wilton Felder also passed away. It kind of reminds me of when the Ramones all passed away within just a, a few years of each other. Sticks Hooper is still around. But that's about it for the key main players of the Crusaders. Do you think he's con- going by Nesbert yet, or is he still Sticks? <laughs> as far as I know, he still Sticks. But I would have gone with Nesbert, but that's just me. I haven't met many Nesberts in my life, so but I haven't met many Sticks either. So say you got a lot of friends named Sticks, or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well. Sean, I don't. What would you even do with a playlist for this? Would it just be like would it consist of all tracks that the Crusaders have played on? Yes, that's exactly what I would do. That was my very first thought when I started making this playlist. Was like, oh yeah, the most prolific band of all time. Of course, I could just make a playlist only songs featuring members of the Crusaders. I'm honestly like thinking about trying to get real in depth with it and just make like a ten hour long all like albums that the Crusaders have played on. So maybe if I get bored, this will be a giant playlist eventually. But right now I have 33 songs, two and a half hours. Every single track on this playlist features at least one member of the Crusaders. So you can hear a handful of different Crusaders tracks, plus songs by artists such as David T. Walker, who is one of the guitar players on this record and one of my all-time favorite studio guitarists. Randy Crawford's solo track on here, the Steely Dan song that I referenced at the beginning. Oh. <laughs> Got some Quincy Jones on here, the main ingredient, Mary Clayton, the four tops, Phil Upchurch, Michael Franks, Seals and Crofts, Minnie Ripperton, Joni Mitchell, Henry Mancini, Joan Baez, Sean Phillips, Jackson Five, Nancy Wilson. They're all on here. It's, it's a great playlist. Goes all over the place, different genres of jazz different genres of R&B plus pop and folk. It's great. Check it out. That's on Spotify. You can just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, to find this and all of our other accompanying playlists. Wonderful. And if you haven't already, you're on social media, you're on the Instagram app, feel free to follow us on there. We're at I'd Buy That Podcast. Post about the upcoming episodes the playlists, keep up to date with what's going on. But you should also already know what's going on by subscribing to us on your podcast platform of choice. Get the episodes right when they drop by doing that. Well, have we ever, it's just occurred to me, have we ever actually told people when these drop? Or (laughs) have they just figured it out over time, you think? Yeah, we should do that. Let's do that right now. It's Tuesdays. When you wake up in the morning on Tuesday, it's going to be there waiting for you. Yep. Unless you're in Britain or something. Yeah, which we do have listeners there. 
that's our second biggest spot is Britain. Yeah. It probably drops at like, I don't know. It's still probably usually seven or eight, nine in the morning there that it would be uh, going up. So on a Tuesday or a few hours ahead of us. So yeah, Tuesdays is our day. Get new episodes of I'd Buy That for a dollar every Tuesday. Now that I've said that, something catastrophic is going to happen for the first time in the two years of this podcast (laughs) where we can't get it up on a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've sealed our fate. Do we uh, have any closing thoughts before we talk about our selection that we're going to leave the people on? Just if you want to buy a whole bunch of really great records from the dollar bin, just memorize the names of the members of the Crusaders and buy every record that they feature on, and you pretty much can't go wrong. You're welcome. Thank you, Sean. How about you, Jeremy? Any, you know, as, as the episode where you've been converted to a jazz funk fan? Well, I'd say, you know, whatever time zone you're in, if you're awake right now and the sun is not shining and you're about to go cruising in your car put on some crusaders you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it yeah what you said yeah if you're about to go skiing down a mountainside you can put on some crusaders <laughs> yeah learn about that no street that life. don't make no damn sense <laughs> um yeah what you said at the beginning about the album cover yeah it really has that like cruising around on the town on a summer night vibe throughout this whole record. I can't speak to a lot of their other records. I'm I'm still very much a newbie to the Crusaders, you know, other than the fact that I've been hearing them my whole life unknowingly. (laughs) So honestly, I'm just going to say this street life is not even close to my favorite Crusaders record. I think a lot of the stuff they did before this is way better. And I still really like the album street life. So if you want a sound similar to this, the two records they did right before this, those Southern Nights and Free as the Wind that came out in 76 and 77, those are both a, a similar style to this and very good. And also similar color schemes, like you could like arrange them next to each other and they kind of look like they're all part of the same picture. <laughs> but uh, Chain Reaction from 75 is also really, really good. Old Socks, New Shoes, New Socks, Old Shoes, which sounds like a Dr. Seuss title from 1970. (laughs) Um, That's a really good one. That's kind of the transition point between the Jazz Crusaders, more like soul jazz and bop sound into the newer like jazz funk styles that they were exploring. So if, if you see that one, pick it up. But if you see any Crusaders record from 1979 or earlier, it's worth picking up and you will definitely see street life in the dollar bins all over the place. Yeah. And with this being their biggest hit there. It's a plentiful and cheap record. Great place to start. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about this one is I think it's kind of a low key secret that street life is them. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people yeah, know that. Totally. <laughs> so we're going to end. Yeah, I would assume it's a lady disco singer if I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's credit it's credited as being Randy Crawford and Jackie Brown on the soundtrack. So I mean, I guess at least she's getting credit for <laughs> that time. <laughs> I'm sure the Crusaders would have credited her if they could have. We're gonna end on Carnival of Night. This is a Wilton Felder composition. And this one 
Features James Jamerson Jr. on bass. Wilton's wielding, I believe, multiple saxophones on this one, so he passed the bass off to someone else. Uh, James Jamerson Jr. is the son of James Jamerson, the Detroit Motown session bassist, who is the uncredited bassist on all of the early Motown stuff from 1963 to 1968. It, like uh, James Jamerson is one of the unsung basis heroes of music but his son who's featured on this track can also shred so we're going to be hearing some of james jamerson jr's chops on this one thank you so much for listening to i'd buy that for a dollar my name is peter cook i'm sean hartman and i'm jeremy ruggles